Welcome to A Well Cared For Human, the podcast that tries to convince you that you are 100% normal and an even better than okay example of the human species, despite the fact that sometimes we feel like the craziest, most incapable, or worthless creatures on the face of this planet. I'm Corey, an author, a creative, and the host of the show. Whatever you're bringing to the table today, I hope this episode proves to be a dose of inspiration for you on your quest to become a well-cared-for human. You can find the episode show notes, your free wellness blueprint, and more at awellcaredforhuman.com. And as always, thank you for listening. Hello, humans. It's your host, Corey, and today we're going to talk about receiving. Right now, I'm hearing a lot about the season of giving because we're around the holidays when I'm recording this before I leave for my Christmas vacation. But we don't hear a lot about the power of receiving, and we need both. We need to be both givers and receivers. The word receiving may be a bit vague for most of us. So what do I mean by receiving? Receiving is your ability to accept help from other people, your ability to let good things come into your life, maybe even your ability to believe that good is possible, that things can be very different than what you've experienced in the past. The most simple way for me to put this term of receiving into context is how comfortable are you with enjoying good things in your life, accepting love into your life, accepting generosity from others, accepting compliments, accepting care, There's a certain need for openness to these things. And if you've been hurt in the past, if you've gone through difficult circumstances, it's very possible that you're very closed. For example, if you've had your heart broken, you might be very closed to the idea of receiving love because it doesn't feel safe. Or if you've lost something that's really important to you, you might be really afraid to open yourself back up to receive another chance or receive another opportunity because last time it was so painful. Or if you fail, you might be also closed to the idea of receiving another chance at something because of how it happened before. So for one reason or another, there's many instances in which we close ourselves because of previous experiences that we had. And when we close ourselves like that, we are no longer open to receiving. But why do we shut down? Love and care and generosity are, without question, some of the best things about being human, some of the best experiences that we can have. But why would we shut down to them? Why would we reject them? Why would we push them away? And many of us struggle to connect with love and kindness and goodness in life, not just because we have been hurt in the past, which is what I was talking about just a moment ago, but also we don't trust it. Or to take a step farther than that, maybe we don't even believe it exists. Maybe we've been so consistently disappointed or we've lost so much that we've come to believe that good is not even possible because we've had no personal experience with that sort of encounter. So depending on how badly you've been hurt in the past and how deeply you've internalized those hurts, these ideas about what is possible in love or what's possible in kindness or what's possible to experience in the goodness of your circumstances or from other people It might be as mythical to you as the Easter Bunny. (laughs) It might feel like there is no world in which that's true. So for example, if you've had nothing but a string of broken hearts, it's very possible that you don't believe that true love exists, that you don't believe that you are worthy or capable of finding someone who would be good to you and love you no matter what. The truth is, is that we cannot connect 
with love or with care, and I don't just mean romantic love, it's an easy example to use because most people can understand if you've been betrayed or hurt before, then you wouldn't be open to that. So it's an easy example. But I don't mean just romantic love. I'm also talking about all forms of love. That could be friendships, that could be family bonds, such as forming your found family. Maybe you've only ever had negative experiences with family. You can't imagine having a loving, supportive family around you. And so the idea that you would go out and find your found family, form a new family with someone else, that might feel impossible because you have your idea of what families are like. Partnerships, whether that be in business or personal partnerships or coming together of two plus people of any kind, whatever the form that love takes, we often do not connect with that love. We cannot connect with that love if we're not open to receiving it. So if, for example, you crave more gentleness in your life, maybe you've had a really hard time and you feel like everything is harder than it needs to be and you're just really surviving, having been attacked from all sides for goodness knows how long, you might really crave gentleness, but if you don't believe that it's possible or you don't believe that you're meant to have it, so to speak, you'll be close to receiving it. So something might come along that might actually be, quote, the gentleness that you need, but you'd be like, no, it doesn't exist, or no, that's not real, or no, I can't trust that, I'll just get hurt again. And so we push back against those opportunities, let's call them. We often cannot accept help from other people or care from other people if we believe certain things such as it's wrong to do so or it's too much of a risk and it's not worth it. These are all limiting beliefs that usually stem from our terrible experiences. Just like a dog that will shy away from a hand or cringe away from a person who's approaching them if they've been hurt or beat in the past, it's possible that you've come to distrust people to the point that you're blocking good people or good opportunities from your life, good experiences that you deserve to have. And there's zero judgment from me, by the way, in case that's not clear. If this is how you are, if you push good things away, I completely understand why you would do that. And I don't want you to feel like I'm telling you, don't do it. Shutting yourself off like that is bad and you just need to get over it. That is not what I'm saying at all. I have the utmost compassion for people who are close to good things because I have absolutely been close to good things. In some ways, I'm very open now. In other ways, I'm still closed. So why in the world would I judge you for that? And a lot of it just has to do with the experiences that we have and the things that we've healed and the things that we haven't healed. So let's look at some of the limiting beliefs that you might have that are keeping you closed or are working like bodyguards (laughs) or protective barriers away from these positive good experiences that you could be having. So one of the ones that I carried for a long time was that it was weak to ask for help. So I've talked about it before about how I tend to be a very hyper independent person. I am not good about accepting help from other people. I really struggle to make it known that I need assistance for something. (laughs) I'm convinced that one day my death will be because I should have just asked someone to help me with something, but I did not. I don't know, climb a ladder, for example, and then I fall to my death. I have that kind of issue that I'm trying to heal and to work through, and that's because I was brought up by neglectful parents, certainly, and when you have people who are neglectful to you as a child, You have a tendency to try to meet all of your own needs, even though it's absolutely impossible for a child to meet all of their own needs. The child will try to do it anyway, and so I was that child. 
And so I developed this hyper-independence, don't ask anyone for help. And the other aspect is because, at least from my father's perspective, if I asked him for help, it was met often with criticism or rejection of some kind. And so I was also fearful of asking for help. He had this obsession with what he called takers. So he often liked to say, there are givers and takers in this world, and Corey, you're a taker. That would be something he would say just because I would basically ask him for help for something. I remember that there was a situation, I think it was at school, and I had like an unexpected bill, and I asked him to help me with it, and that was probably the quote that he had trotted out at the time, which was like, all you only ever do is take, and you don't care about anything else. And, and it didn't matter that he absolutely had the resources to do that, and it didn't matter that it wasn't like I had made a bad decision or something to create this situation. It was just something that happened. But I could not ask for help without receiving this sort of level of criticism. This idea that you can't ask people for help. I also remember encountering it in therapy. So I remember that I think I was dealing with something emotionally. It might have been pretty close to the time that my mom died. And I felt like I needed a lot of extra emotional care. And I think I was telling the therapist, like, oh, I can't talk to Kim about this. I don't want to stress her out. I don't want her to get overwhelmed. Or I don't even know how I put it to her. But the therapist was like, Corey, you can ask your spouse to help you with this. <laughs> and it kind of really drove home this idea that I don't know how to ask people to help me for things. I'm not a good receiver when it comes to getting that assistance because I think that it's either going to make me feel like a quote taker, which my father made me so fearful of, or that it's going to be met with some kind of resistance or some kind of negative reaction that they're going to feel like I'm using them. But, you know, in your case, it might very much be this idea that you had someone in your life who made you feel bad for asking for help, who made you feel like you had to do it all on your own who made you feel like it wasn't okay to reach out to other people in your time of need. My father also had a big fear about vulnerability, like emotional vulnerability. And so if I was to open up that part of myself, you know, and confess that I wasn't handling something very well or I could use a bit more emotional support or something, he always reacted very negatively to any kind of display of emotion. And I don't know if that's directly connected to narcissistic personality disorder. I think that it is in the sense that often they're very disconnected with their emotions. There's something that happens when they're confronted with any strong emotion, they kind of shut down internally almost immediately. And if that's the case, I feel that it's probably true that they feel very, I guess, put upon or confused by other people's emotions because what do they know what to do with that? They don't even know what to do with their own feelings and emotions. What in the world are they going to do if somebody else is upset? I mean, we all know that feeling of how hard it is to see someone we care about cry or get upset. And so you can't really do things for people sometimes in those situations. You just have to sit with them. And so I imagine that for someone with narcissistic personality disorder, it would be very painful to watch that. And so he was always like, you got to take your, <laughs> he had this very, <laughs> he had these very like elaborate uh, metaphors, but you got to take your feelings. You got to put them in a box. You got to put the box on the shelf in the back. And you, <laughs> I think you get the idea here. 
for this idea that you couldn't be open with people, you couldn't share things, you couldn't really ask for help. These were all things that I got messaging from him pretty early on, and not just him, to be fair. Also, my mother, you know, and when she was very obsessed with herself and dealing with her own PTSD and her mental health struggles, it was all very much focused on her. And so I also felt like I couldn't ask for too much because I could see, even as a child, I could see that she was having a really hard time. And so little kids, you know, they don't want to be a burden to their parents. If they see that their parents are having a hard time, they don't want to be that person who asks for one more thing. Like it's clear that, you know, mom is already super stressed out and overwhelmed. I don't want to tell her that I need this or I don't want to tell her that I'm struggling with this. So there was also this reinforcement from her side. It had a very different flavor to it than my father, who, you know, was a very hypercritical and rejecting man. That's a very different flavor than me feeling like my mother was just so vulnerable and fragile in a lot of ways that I couldn't bring things to her because I didn't want to make things harder for her. And I didn't want to set her off drinking or, you know, disappear for a couple of days or like I didn't want to do anything that might make things worse. There was another aspect as well from my father's side of things in which he made me suspicious of people who were givers. And what I mean by that, people who were suspicious of being givers, or even just this idea that to receive something from somebody came at too high of a price, also closed me off to the idea of receiving for that reason. So for a long time, it really took me a long time to unpack this. I didn't realize what was going on. But someone told me a story one time, and so I'll just tell you as the story. And I was like, oh my god, that's what's happening. That's what he does. Like, it took me a while to see it. But essentially, she was telling me the story. She was like, let me tell you about something. And maybe you need a little bit more backstory about this to understand. And so essentially, one of the things I grappled with a long time, because I really struggled to recognize what my father was doing as abuse. And because I struggled to recognize it as abuse, I made up a lot of excuses for his behavior and the things that he did. And it took few therapists... (laughs) (laughs) to make me realize that actually his behavior was quite abusive. And it wasn't even the therapist that got through to me. It was my friend. And I was kind of telling her, like, well, but was he really abusive? Because he did this, this, and this for me. Because sometimes he could be quite demonstrative in his generosity. So, for example, when I was graduating high school, I really wanted to go with the class to Europe. There was, like, a European trip. And so you could sign up and you could go with the senior class. And I wanted to go. And unlike my mother, who was very poor all of her life, my father had money. It wasn't my money, but it was his money. And he would make it very clear to you that that was the case. So this was not like someone who's like, well, I don't have money. My parents do. It was not like that. (laughs) He would tell you himself that that is his money. And so it was his money. And he wanted to make sure that I absolutely knew that at all times. And so when I asked him if I could go for the trip, he let me go. And he also made absolutely sure that I knew that it was because he was such a loving and magnanimous father. And isn't he like the best person for doing this? And I believed him. Like I absolutely 100% believed him. I had no reason to think otherwise. And so when I was trying to work through some of these clearly abusive things that happened throughout my childhood from, you know, birth until 20-something, I always came up against this problem. I'm like, well, but he did nice things for me sometimes. 
You know, sometimes my dad would pay for me to go on a trip or sometimes he would, you know, get me a car so I could drive to school. So I had these instances that kind of confused the messaging and I was like, but he really did that. So isn't he a great dad? Like, isn't he a nice dad? And then my friend told me this story and she's like, look at it this way. She's like, imagine that there is a king who is in control of a kingdom and he needs everyone in the kingdom to follow his lead or he doesn't get to hold his power. So he doesn't get to be king unless everyone agrees that he's king and they follow him, right? Otherwise we get like a Marie Antoinette situation, (laughs) people beheaded. And so the followers have to agree that the king is good and kind and deserves to be in charge and deserves to be the ruler. She's like, and so this king, he gives things to his followers every once in a while, and he does it to prove that he's this good and magnanimous king in order to maintain his control and his power. She's like, but is he doing that for the people because he loves the people and he cares about the people and he wants the people not to suffer? No, he's doing it because he wants to maintain the power and control that he has over the situation. She's like, and would you consider that king to be a good king? Is that a loving king? If that was the reason why the king was doing things, would you consider that king to be a good person? And I was like, well, no, because it's just about him. And then she just gave me this look. (laughs) I can't convey it over the microphone, but I'm sure you can guess. Mm. (laughs) A look like... Are you putting these pieces together, girl? And I was. And I was like, okay, I get what you're saying. Is that, yes, he did these things for me when I was growing up, but it was never about me. And that explained a lot, actually, because I had always had this feeling that it wasn't enough or, like, the things that he were doing wasn't enough. But he would always turn that back on me as well and be like, well, that's because you're so ungrateful and that's because you don't care. But really, I think it was just because even as a child, I understood that it wasn't really because he loved me. Like, there was no love in those actions. It was just for him. And I think that made the gifts, the generosity feel very empty. And so fast forward, what that means is that as an adult, Corey in her late 20s, up to mid 30s or so, when someone would try to do something nice for her, she would expect it to either come with a price, like that person wants something from her later, or for it to be empty or for it to have a motivation. And so there was also this rejection of good things coming into my life because I didn't trust them. I didn't know why it was happening and I didn't know what the other side of it would look like. And so I was definitely afraid to receive good things in my life and I was definitely afraid to accept help. I was taught not to accept help, to not even need help. I was taught to not even need help. (laughs) Not even just accept it. Just don't even need help and don't ask anyone for it. But then also, you know, things that could have opened me up to to love or gentleness and kindness. I was very afraid of it because in my personal history, there was so much going on there that made it complicated, that it never felt like loving or free. Because a true gift is there's nothing attached to it. It's just given and there's no expectation and there's nothing. It's just there for you. And that's it, period. (laughs) And I had no idea what that experience was like until I was very old, let's say, 40, (laughs) until I was 40, (laughs) was I able to start processing, oh my gosh, okay, there are people who just give you things because they love you and they don't want anything else from you. That was wild. That was a wild experience for me when that started happening. And also, you know, through meditation and raising my awareness and stuff, I could start to see these internal shifts for me. And like someone would try to give me something and I would feel the resistance in my body. I'd be like, why am I so bothered by this, that this person wants to give me something? Like they're just being nice like why is it such a problem because it feels like a huge resistance inside me and so I had to use a lot of introspection and contemplation looking at my personal history figuring out what happened 
Where did I pick up these beliefs? Where is this resistance coming from? And just acknowledging that I'm actually pushing back against these great things that could be happening. I feel myself internally rejecting them. I feel myself pulling away from them. And if I can see that in this moment, you know, who knows where else I'm doing it? So where else could I possibly be shoving away good things that are coming to me? And how I moved away from that, how did I, despite my personal history, start opening myself to accepting more love and kindness, more gentleness, all the good positive experiences that I was hoping for? I had to begin by rejecting the ideas of the past. So some of that was my father's ideology, this idea that there's only givers and takers, and if you ask for anything, you're a taker, or this idea that it's absolutely terrible to ask for help or to need help, that you are selfish if you feel this way, if someone gives you something and you don't bow down with your head completely to the floor, you're the worst human being. And so I had to start rejecting some of these ideologies that I had in order to open myself up to the idea that I deserved respect and care, that I deserved love, that I deserved good things. And it's hard to move past limiting beliefs because of the things that have happened to you really happened. You know, it's hard to tell yourself there are good, loving, kind people in the world if everyone you've ever dated has cheated on you. You know, if you're telling yourself, I can find the soulmate that I deserve, that will always be there for me, that will never betray me or backstab me, it feels like a bold statement, (laughs) a bold move, if all you have is 10 cheaters lined up behind you, you know? And so it can be really hard to work against those limiting beliefs because the reason why you have them is probably because you have some evidence that that is true. And I encourage you to start thinking about it in a different way. So yes, that happened. Whatever difficult thing that happened that closed you off to receiving, whatever made you feel like it wasn't safe to receive good things, whatever made you feel like it wasn't safe to receive love or kindness, that happened. That really happened. And while that's true, it is not the only truth. So just because that was what your past was like, just because that was something that you endured in the past, it doesn't mean that that's what your future is going to look like. It doesn't mean that those are the only experiences that you can have. Even though you've had it 10 times, it doesn't mean that the 11th time will also be that way. You yourself can be reborn into a new experience at any time. And it does require that we let go of the past. It requires that we refuse to accept those experiences as permanent truths. We have to have a bit of courage and faith in our hearts to say, yes, that happened, but it won't always happen. I don't believe that that's the only thing that can happen. And some other things that helped me to open myself a bit more to receiving good things into my life was a gratitude practice. I've already got tons of stuff on that in this show. So go listen to the stuff about gratitude. But this idea of training myself to look at the positive aspects of life, to remind myself again that not only my negative experiences define me, I have had also very positive experiences. And so maybe it would be okay to open myself up to a few more. Definitely identifying any limiting beliefs that I was struggling with, which I already touched on a bit. Being, again, open-minded to the idea that something different could happen this time, that it's not always going to be the same, that maybe there's another possibility out there. Also getting clear on what I want to receive. So if I had a good sense of what I was looking for, again, staying with the easy example of love, if you've only had terrible relationships in the past and you know you are holding out for that one true loving connection, get clear on what that looks like. Is it someone who respects you, someone who speaks to you kindly, someone who does X, Y, and Z? 
write a list, write a 100 item list if you need to (laughs) get crystal clear on what you're looking for so that you can start looking for that in the world in your daily life. So you'll like open yourself up to it because now you're searching for it. You know what you're looking for and you're looking for it. Staying with the mindfulness practices that I've mentioned in many, many episodes, not just meditation, but also anything you can do to stay present in the moment. I wasn't able to see how resistant I was to receiving until I had a certain level of awareness around the situation. Then I could feel that tightening in my body. I could feel that recoiling. I could feel the pulling back. And I'm like, wow, I'm really rejecting this idea of receiving this from this person. They're clearly only wanting to be kind, and I know that they're going to only be kind. I, You know, this person is a good person. I'm not at all worried about them, but everything in me is rejecting this. Wow, why? So we have to have mindfulness in order to be able to see that. And then just practice accepting the help, even if you grit your teeth through it. <laughs> Some of the first few times that I was allowing other people to do things for me. And man, when I tell you that I was like watching this with so much tension in my body... <laughs> If you want to know if you have a hard time accepting help, if you want to know if you have a hard time receiving love and kindness, just let someone try to do something for you and see how you feel about it. And if everything inside you is going, oh my God, (laughs) this might apply to you. This might be something you're struggling with. It's very challenging if that's a feeling that you have inside you. So just be aware. Take a good look at that. Keep in mind that you might need some patience and some time to unlearn that. I think it takes us twice as long to unlearn things as it does to learn stuff. So unfortunately, unlearning has to be done in this kind of situation. You have to undo all the limiting beliefs and everything that you have. But once you learn how to receive, you'll be so glad that you did because it will mean that finally all of the good things that you've been hoping for, all of the good things you've been wishing for and praying for and working hard for and begging the universe for, all of it will finally have permission to come into your life. And that's it for today, dear human. As always, I hope you found this episode useful. And if you would like to write into the show today and ask for my thoughts on something that you're dealing with, I would love to hear from you through any of my social media or through my email at cory at coryamshram.com. Otherwise, I will be back next week with another episode of A Well-Cared-For Human. And until then, please take good care of you. This episode of A Well-Cared-For Human was written and produced by me, Cory Marie. The music was by Late Night Feeler and Esther Abrami. If you like what I'm doing here, please consider visiting my Patreon. For as little as a dollar a month, you get early ad-free access to the episodes, as well as a monthly patrons-only Q&A, bonus videos, and more. Not to mention that your Patreon support lets me know that you find value in the show and want it to continue. You can find me on Patreon by visiting www.patreon.com forward slash Marie. If you can't support the show financially, that is okay. You can still subscribe to the show, leave a review of the show, and recommend the show to your friends, not just the neurotic ones. All of this helps so much. And as always, thank you for listening.